Welcome to this roundtable hosted by Incremental and WinClap about machine learning in marketing. Should marketers support or block AI? Will it take our jobs? And is it better to build technology in-house and gain a competitive edge or license technologies available? We rounded up four industry thought leaders to have a casual discussion about these questions. We hope you'll enjoy listening to our roundtable. Welcome, everybody. Uh, so this is a roundtable hosted by Incremental and Winclap. And we're going to be talking today about build versus buy, incorporating machine learning in your marketing operations. Starting off, uh, let's uh, introduce ourselves. Pia, ladies first, usually. <laughs> OK. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, I'm Pia. I've been working in the mobile industry for the last eight years, uh, a little bit more. Uh, I'm in the current head of product at WinClub, so we are working with focus on machine learning and AI products for marketers. And previously, I was working uh, leading the team for mobile acquisition and growth for Despegar, the biggest travel agency in Latin America. I was working there uh, with mainly focus on the shift of users from desktop to mobile and then also on uh, attribution models. All right, hi, um, nice meeting you. My name is Andre. I'm running Admiral Media, a small uh, but award-winning performance marketing agency based in Spain. And yeah, I work in mobile. I think we, I started with ringtones. Um, when apps came out, I thought this is an opportunity. And that's um, basically my origin. And I stayed with that. So I'm happy to be here and discuss how this all has, uh, how all the app marketing has changed and how machine learning will impact us in the future looking forward. Hi everyone, my name is Lamit Patel. I head up uh, growth at MView, which is one of the world's largest avatar-based social networking app. Uh, I, um, my responsibilities there is all around um, user acquisition, retention and monetization. And um, prior to MView, I've worked at a number of different startups for the past 20 years, everything all around growth. So, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a topic that's near and dear to me. And um, beyond that, I've also written a book called Lean AI, which, which talks about how innovative companies can use um, artificial intelligence and automation to scale up growth better, faster, and smarter. Cool, thanks. And uh, I'm Or, I'm a CEO and co-founder of Incremental, been in the edtech industry for the last 20 years, um, to, <laughs> 10 years in desktop advertising and last 10 years in the smaller screen. I've also dealt with ringtones, by the way, in the past. Um, yeah, I've uh, been quite active, I would say, in anything that has to do with tracking, attribution, measurement, and so on throughout my entire career. And uh, finally took the plunge last summer uh, and started the Incremental with a co-founder uh, we're based in Israel and in Germany, and uh, yeah, we're just launching our product right now. So let's go ahead and start with our first question. We prepared a couple of questions, but as you know, we didn't really do any practice whatsoever. So we want to keep it as fluid as possible. And so, yeah, we can also go off topic. Uh, the first question we came up with, what does machine learning in marketing mean for you? Okay, um, I can go first. Um, lately, machine learning in marketing is meaning that the levers that the different marketers' profiles are using to manage their campaigns are being managed by machine learning models. So what I have seen lately 
is that this has given marketers space to um, work towards like more focus on analysis, strategy, creativity. So focusing on the brand uh, building and recognition they want to build. So I think that machine learning basically has given us like more space to work into different things uh, more related to creativity. I would um, actually say the same. The, I believe since marketing has developed so much and automated so many things on, you name the platforms, um, you have certainly much more time to really think about your creative works and how you want to message to a customer and these kind of things. The other side of the metal though is that um, most machines turn us as marketers uh, more and more blind again. So I get less information out of those boxes very often than I was used to get before. And also I've, I've seen this back then when uh, app marketing on Google became automated, for example, I was able to do all the keyword uh, optimization for, for advertising apps and these kind of things. And this has been taken away from me. So I think this has two sides, like it gives us more time on what, on the one hand, and which is a positive thing, but then there's also a lot of negatives uh, happening with machine learning uh, as well. That's my opinion. Yeah, I find it interesting that you mentioned Google. I remember, so I used to be CEO for Applifts, a mobile performance marketing company. And there uh, often I would discuss with customers about transparency and control. And customers would say, no, I, I really, you know, I spend most of my budget with Facebook and Google. And I was like, but you get no transparency and absolutely no control there. Um, interestingly enough, I, I tend to agree with most of what was said. I like, I try to simplify sometimes what machine learning in marketing is for me. It's like a really smart team member, really, really, really smart team member that does things so fast and so efficient that you as a manager sometimes wonder, hmm, what the hell is he doing? He's doing a job and you as a manager, basically, even if you're not managing a team, but you're basically managing tools, um, your role is to actually tell that team member what to do and then they ended up they end up doing things for you um, in ways that you didn't necessarily think is possible that's how I define it so I was going to say going last all the best answers are usually taken right but but what I what I will add is uh, you know at least um, for me I would define that machine learning has been around you know it's not something new it's been used in some way shape or form but but you know people have I've spoken about it less, but now it's definitely more on the surface where people are talking about it more prominently. And, you know, ultimately, I think machine learning, like anything else, it, it's about giving, uh, figuring out your competitive advantage, right? How can you get better and smarter around your market? And, and, and in this day and age today, that really comes down to, you know, how do you process data and, and how do you analyze data and, and how do you make better predictions based on that data? And, you know, to everything that everybody else is saying, you know, it's, it, it's very difficult, no matter how many humans you put into processing data, they're never gonna be able to beat a machine, right? At doing that. And the machine can do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So, you know, I think, you know, so, so machine learning is really about just just augmenting your marketing and taking it to another level where you know beyond being a smart team member it really becomes the the center focus of your team and the rest of the team sort of leverages that um that team member to really help everybody else do better in their jobs but do you think um that actually for example the one machine fits all approach 
of Google, for example, I mean, they, they apply their machine to a fitness app, to a nutrition app, to a game, um, and so on and so on. Does this really work out in the end of the day uh, from your perspective? Or do you think like everyone should have an individual machine or at least in a brand, like let's say industry? Mac OS campaigns have built extremely the cool voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely going into the uh, the full round table, by the way, whatever that okay. <laughs> You got my question, I guess, sorry. <laughs> I, I did. And, and, and what I would say is, you know, um, it's a really good question. You know, uh, and, and the trade-off is, you know, fundamentally in marketing, the, the use cases and the problems we're trying to solve are very similar, at least, you know, 95% of the time, which is all around, you know, how are you going to acquire customers, how are you going to better retain customers, and, and, and how are you going to monetize those users. And so, you know, uh, I, you know, I don't think you need to sort of have specific individual machines built for all of those use cases for the most part you can have one machine that can sort of be applied across all of that and the challenge is really to try and find something that isn't just built specifically for one channel like you mentioned google you want to have something that can be built and work across all of your main channels and and that way it provides more level of efficiency so that you don't look at things in silos but you can look at all of your marketing holistically I guess, by the way, we're kind of like going into immediately the whole of build or buy when you ask this question, by the way. So maybe let's proceed with the next question and see where it takes us. So what, <laughs> what's the role of the marketer if many functions can be handled by software? Lumit, let's, uh, let's give you the honor of being first so you take all the smart answers. So... Um... I would say, you know, you know, the big part of the role for a marketer, um, especially with, um, you know, machines and AI being involved is really to sort of become more of a leadership role and, and becoming a champion for, for, uh, for um, bringing digital transformation to the company across different areas, because a machine, you know, to, to try and you know get a company to rally behind um, machine learning and AI really requires changing people's minds and, and getting people open to new things and and only only a human can do that so you know I feel you know uh, the role for the human is really to sort of become the champion for AI in marketing and not only become the champion but also to identify what are the right use cases where the company can start seeing clear value quickly because people can become um, disengaged if they, if they don't really see if they try to you know aim for things that are very complicated you're not going to see the value quickly and and then, and then the third part is is to really identify um, you know um, what what are the right resources that are going to be needed to really, to really make AI happen? And, and and I think that's that's an honest conversation. To I think one of the questions we'll talk about later, which is ultimately, do, do you want to be able to build it or do you want to be able to buy it? Yeah, definitely. I think that the the, the marketer should be definitely focused on bringing into the table the new things, the new trends tools that are using maybe in other areas of the company because there are a lot of developments that can be like adjusted to the use case that we need on marketing teams. I don't have much to add to that actually. I think the role of the marketer 
let, let's say over the past years, what I've uh, recognized was always that we developed into some kind of, um, everyone tried to develop a doctor degree in data science um, in the past years. Uh, when I went to any marketing conference, everything was about LTV prediction models, la la la. Um, but not a single, really not a single presentation that I saw on those conferences was about the real message. How do I approach a customer? What's the psychology behind the message and so on and so on. So building a brand has beca became kind of obsolete for us in performance marketing. On the other side, we buy most impressions every day through performance marketing and talk to most of every customer that we ever reach through our marketing. Um, so I, I think this was long forgotten and comes back uh, into our hands and plays a way more important role in the future. So, in, in, and th then there's one more thing uh, to add here, not so, so much about uh, machine learning, but the pure investment into creatives and creative strategies has been so little, like there's companies that spend 1 million a month on marketing, but have one designer. This is a mismatch from my perspective. So automation can definitely help us to again, focus on things that are way more important and have been forgotten over the past uh, months and years from my perspective. And, and, and I was gonna say, I add one more thing because I, I think you bring up a really good point, which is um, all around creative, right? Creative is something that's gonna be very hard for machines to replicate because you know it, it's more than, it, it, it's like art and science, right? And you need some good intuition. And so I think the role of the market has become more around the soft skills and, and, and the idea around intuition, right? Because you can get all of this data, but ultimately, what does it really mean? Because the machine, for the most part, won't have the context, right? And that's, that's where the humans will be able to apply um, um, knowledge and, 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 and be able to provide better context on what the machine's doing. And, and then, you know, I feel the other part is with any machine, ultimately, it's going to come down to making sure that it has the right support system, especially around data, right? So it's, it's not about one and done, like you can have the right data inputs being, you know, connected going into the machine, but you always need to have somebody to overlook that and make sure that the right data continues to go into, into the machine, that, that, that there's validation being made around the different algorithms and models that are being built, and there's no inherent biases that are getting into the system. And, and again, I think that's where the humans would have to provide oversight as well. So I wanted to add something in regards to Andre's previous question. So like when I think of machine learning, I'm also thinking of the combination of AI and, you know, AI always sounds like this, like scary technical term that we don't really get, but in reality, it's artificial intelligence. Now, what is intelligence is the ability to learn. What is artificial intelligence is an artificial ability to learn. And that's kind of like the gist of it. I would say that um, as long as there is a component there that can learn, in different scenarios, then I don't think that there is a real need to build a machine per app, per customer, per advertiser, but the machine should be able to kind of like learn by itself. And I would say that the marketer's role there is to introduce with the machine of new scenarios that the machine might either take too long to realize or make too many mistakes while it's going. If you think of the I don't know, the, um, the driver in a self-driving car, like, why are they there? The car should be capable of self-driving. Now, the reality, the car may uh, face a new uh, scenario and it could like have an accident and it will learn for the next time. But you don't really want 
to have an accident for the car to learn from the for the next time. And that's why the um, the driver is still there, basically, at least for now. I think we are a couple of years away from, you know, laying down the car and just sort of enjoying the ride, but maybe we will get there. Who knows? And then we're all out of jobs. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm a very creative person. <laughs> Lumit, you also touched the point of data. Now, as we all know, uh, there are some massive changes happening right now when it comes to data, privacy, accessibility of data, user-level data. How is this affecting uh, what a marketer's role is uh, when it comes to choosing build or buy for machine learning products? So I would say, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of challenges around user privacy and 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 how you um, gather first-party data. Um, and so, uh, at least the way we're we're thinking about this at MView is, is is a couple of things. One one is that we continue to sort of freeze our AI models, you know, uh, consistently, so that we always continue to keep those learnings as as we're continuing to build and 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 develop new AI models based on. Um, the data inputs or the limited number of data inputs that we might be getting. Uh, and then the other thing we've tried to do is, is find other data signals, which, you know, ideally for us, we're always trying to optimize towards payers and revenue, but we know those data signals take longer to get to. So we try to figure out what are the early indicators that we could optimize to, which could have a strong correlation to, to what we want um, further down. And, and so we've started building models more around registrations and, um, and 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 user behavior within the first 24 hours that that somebody's doing and 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 predict that and then again this is where AI is really able to help us because because we'll kind of look you know we have a lot of like data around looking at the ideal user journey but ultimately what 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 are the signals um, that that correlate really highly to to what a, a high lifetime value user could be for us and and we know for the most part, those data signals are still easy to come by beyond an install, which could be a registration and or what's the user action somebody does. And at MView, for the, you know, one of the key things that we need someone to do within the first 24 hours is to redeem these free MView credits that we give them to customize the look and feel of the avatar. So people that are likely to, 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 to redeem those free credits uh, have a much higher probability to stick around beyond seven days than somebody who doesn't. And, you know, that's just one example, but we look at other things like that, you know. Uh, and, and then I would say, ultimately getting data from users is all around building trust, right? So what can we do as a company to build more trust upfront and provide the, the, a, a strong value exchange so that users feel comfortable to, to give us the, the, the consent to use that data. And for us at MView, we have these, you know, virtual currency that users need to to use within the game. And so that that's that's one thing that we sort of, you know, trying to optimize and figure out like what's the right way to incentivize users beyond what they might be getting to try and get that consent. But for other companies, it could be, you know, a number of different things. But the, but the idea is to figure out, you know, what's you know, what's the value proposition that you have that users really value in your product or service. And what is the, um, the 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 moment of aha where they can really see that value and how quickly can you get them to that so that you'll be able to um, demonstrate value and, and get consent. 
Yeah, th this is actually a, a good point, um, which plays into the previous conversation um, where we mentioned creatives become more and more important. So building a brand, um, tailoring the message to the customers um, play a massive role in getting the consent in the end of the day. I think that that's super important. Um, and that's why we need to invest much more into um, building good creatives and a good brand. Andres, since you work with a couple of app developers, are you already experimenting where the creative talks about allowing consent? Not at all. Um, we are actually playing um, a lot and giving a lot of feedback to our clients um, how they could potentially design their first screens in the app. Um, we saw really good examples um, in the industry. Um, and I think if, if you follow this design principle, uh, you can definitely improve um, the, the, uh, yeah, uh, the positive consent rate, let's say. Um, talking in the, about this in the creatives, I'm not sure if this is actually a waste of, um, uh, of money because you still end up on the, on the app store and then there is another message that, that uh, is being transported. Um, and, and we know that users tend to forget um, the first message right, right away. Otherwise, you would, wouldn't have such a massive uh, drop off from coupon codes being advertised versus being actually used after uh, first opening, right? So I believe um, using this in advertising, I don't see this very beneficial, to be honest. And uh, Pia, do you see already differences with uh, what you guys are capable of doing since the launch of iOS 14.5? Well, um, yeah, definitely. The thing is that we are getting like less significant signals um, in order to be able to use as predictors as we are trying right now. But we think that the, the overall will help us. I mean, uh, mixing information from different new sources of uh, information from different clients. So we think you're going towards that less um, user level data, more aggregated signals that we are trying to get from uh, different sources specifically. So the idea would be to move towards that, to, to lever the different uh, uh, signals we can get for iOS. Let's move to our next question. So which skills uh, should never be outsourced to software by marketers? Um, well, what, what I am seeing, I mean, I left like the marketing side a couple of years ago, but well, I'm working more focused on, on product, but we're, what I see on the different marketing teams is that they, okay, they, they used to be like uh, really focused on statistics, but now they are like being like more focused on strategy, on building the right message, working with the persona, with who they want to talk to. So I think that the, the focus of the profiles should go uh, towards that. Uh, transmitting the culture of the company and the culture that you want to transmit to the final client. I think that's a really good question. It gives me some food for thought because actually you could, I as an agency will always uh, use advertising. That's 100% the best way to go. <laughs> but um, I think there is certainly um, pieces in the puzzle um, that should stay in-house. You probably need to make the decision which one is the most important that should be part of your 
product development, for example, um, looking at CRM, um, when do you send a push push uh, notification or an email? How does this play together? Um, which uh, discount do you offer to which customer? These kind of things probably should happen in-house with the help from externals very often to get a fresh view on things, to challenge the decisions you made, um, these kind of things. But there's certainly stuff that definitely needs to happen in-house because you need to have a very close contact to the people that actually develop your product. I think um, th that's probably the way I would go about that. So you can, in theory, outsource anything, everything, um, but certain pieces need to stay in-house or um, at least from time to time. I think from my side, by the way, it's, it seems, sounds very obvious, but it's actually not. The one thing I, I think that never should be outsourced is setting the goals. So marketing is a vehicle for a company goal. Now, that goal can be growth, can be profitability, um, it can be absolute new installs because they're going IPO, whatever. That single KPI that marketing is responsible for should never be outsourced. And I've seen so many weird cases where marketing just basically went wild with some tool or some platform uh, pressing a button because it's very, very easy, put in budget because it's very, very easy. And boom, it's basically completely not aligned with what the company's goal is. And you know you can actually end up acquiring a lot of users, but they could be not profitable. Or you could buy users profitably and actually change the profitability of the company. And that's really, really, really has to do with what is the company aiming to do? What's the company's long-term goal? What's the strategic objective and so on? This is, it's basically somewhere between strategy and eventually operational. Maybe you can use machines to actually run the operations, but the strategy itself, something that should not be outsourced to tech. Challenged by externals still, because they have a complete different view, come from different industries, have a complete different opinion and can help yourself to develop in the right direction. That's for sure. I agree with, you know, everything that, um, that all of you have said. Yeah, you know, I think the key point was the one that you mentioned, goals and strategy, right? You can't out offset that to a machine because the machine has no, doesn't have the bigger context in terms of what the business really wants. And, you know, the, I would say just, just to add to that, you know, the, you know, the machine is like a child. It needs some parental supervision and oversight to, you know, or else, you know, it can go a little crazy because it doesn't really know the boundaries. So, so it still needs human oversight to sort of set the boundaries and to validate the the outcomes that are still to ensure that it's meeting the, the business objectives. Moving to our next question. So um, I think we kind of touched it. But how does machine learning change the profile of a marketer? Now, I don't know, maybe I will, I'll start first this time. So, you know, in the, probably in the past, I don't know, seven, eight years, like a, a mobile marketer needed to be a stats junkie. Like they needed to be experts in analytics. Maybe creative was a little bit part of it. For sure, you saw the value of a marketer that actually is creative. Um, you saw marketers um, like, like being very strategic for a company if they could negotiate well, if they had connections with the app stores to get featuring and so on. I think that those connections, by the way, probably remain very important, but uh, I, I actually agree with many of what Andre was saying earlier. It's like, we can actually do so much of the things using tools these days that 
creativity, coming up with how, um, challenging the why, and, and trying the what, um, is really like the skill set of a marketer. In a way, it's like you want that entrepreneurial spirit person who knows how to find stuff and figure out challenges, um, get external feedbacks correctly, process it, and actually do their job. And I think it's no longer a real necessity to be, I don't know, a, a master's in mathematics or because you, honestly, you can like these companies, tools, people are available for you to work with. Yes. Um, I started as a marketer uh, like eight years ago. And when they chose me to start managing campaigns for, for mobile, um, I was like spending like 80% of my time doing analysis, looking at historical data, performance of campaigns, and then going to the platforms, changing bids, changing budget, doing this, uh, posting an ad, and changing. So I spent like 10% of my time doing A-B testing. That was something that I should have done more. So I definitely think that uh, focusing on testing, running new kind of campaigns, uh, A-B testing, and testing new things with no A-B testing, that should be a good um, a good point where I could marketers could spend uh, more of their time. And now, uh, based on all these changes and and machine learning coming into the into the into the day to day of the marketing analysts, I think that uh, that is like a big big shift. I have uh, actually one comment um, about the mach how machine learning changes the profile of a marketer. I was just thinking about my team actually. And um, what I said before, like that it becomes more and more important to think about creatives and messaging and branding, and these kind of things. This is definitely a key thing in marketing. Um, I mean, how often did I have a conversation about uh, the AIDA principle? Never. <laughs> a key thing in marketing, right? But I never talked to anyone about this, but I discussed uh, tracking and attribution and these kind of things. Um, machine learning at, the, at least at the, at the moment um, is so complex um, that also the technical part in marketing is still extremely relevant and will remain relevant for some time especially with all those changes on ios probably in the future same on android or similar um, because every platform works differently and interprets data differently reports it differently right so also the very technical part still remains extremely relevant so the combination of this profile being creative and still have the technical capabilities to digest what the platforms are feeding to me. Um, this is certainly a big part of the job in the future as well. So what I would add, you know, I think all, you know, everybody's obviously made all, all the best points <laughs> at, at this stage, but I, but I think the role of the marketer really is, 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 is you know, in the future, it, it's really about, you know, figuring out how um, artificial intelligence and human intelligence can work well together. And, and a lot of that's going to come down to really strengthening the, uh, the soft skills and the, the ability to communicate and negotiate and influence internally and externally. And, you know, an example of this is, of, um, you know, everybody works with different partners, whether it's Google, Facebook, or, or agencies, or whatever. And, and ultimately, you know, machine isn't going to be able to manage those sort of relationships. It's still going to require a human to interact amongst all the different stakeholders. And, and I think that role is going to become more important because the human 
still has to become the the advocate to share the 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 results and and sort of share the impact that uh, that um, the machine is having on the business. So you know, I feel that's why you know soft skills around communications and and managing relationships and getting into potential opportunities like alpha and beta with different partners. You know, machines can't do that. That's where it all comes from the relationships that you build and keep. 100%. I can just uh, give a good example about that. For example, um, when I talk to one of the big advertising platforms, uh, it's really uh, important to find the right person that can help you with your particular campaigns and the specific client's needs. Um, all the machine learning that's happening on those platforms in the background um, don't give you the real results or not the good results when you don't know the little tricks and toggles that you need to set in the background and the conversion settings and which conversions do you really import and need and um, to which conversion do you optimize in this campaign versus in parallel runs another campaign that optimizes for a different event. So these little tips and tricks only come from someone, from another human actually, and not from the machine, right? The machine just takes what you give, um, but if there's still 12 toggles to do, um, then there's still a lot of variables that you could influence with a human um, uh, creative thinking behind, right? One of the big challenges, uh, kind of touching on what you said earlier, Andrew, was so, you know, there is there is a machine probably is able to do a lot of the nitty gritty job uh, when it comes to setting up or even things like prediction and so on. But still, what what I agree is that there are massive differences between the platforms because it's it's we are in an unregulated, unstandardized platform. So I was just, you know, I was having a conversation recently with a good friend of mine who's a growth marketer uh, with a very, very big budget. And he was complaining about you know some uh, rewarded video networks um, loading the app store on their um, thank you screen or which is basically a click and then we're talking about the fact that on youtube if an ad is seen for more than one second google triggers a click now it's not that you can really find this information anywhere and it's very exposed and you know so you need either you need the experience or you need at least someone in your team who's really, really, really curious to understand all these like weird data discrepancies, differences, or you need a machine that can actually take all this like crazy knowledge. And I think by the way, that 95% of the industry probably has no idea what we're talking about right now. Even if we look at the recent changes with uh, iOS 14.5, and it's just, you know, our industry changes so fast um, and the changes sometimes are so drastic and they can, can actually influence uh, someone's activity so um, so drastically that it's really important to just constantly stay in the loop of what the hell is going on. Yeah, we tried this with the SKF network master map when it all came out. We wanted to build like a matrix a table where you say, okay, on this channel, does this work? Um, and then you basically have just like X or check marks, right? And uh, first of all, we try to gather all the information from all the platforms, which is uh, mission impossible because the platforms are very silent about all this. Um, and then keeping this up to date because it changes every two weeks, that, that's another mission. Like, and, and trying to digest this, and this plays into the um, point that I made earlier, is you need a marketer that's um, capable and curious right um technically capable to really understand what this means and how it impacts the actual marketing campaign and um then also being curious enough to 
constantly follow up on those kind of changes, right? Yeah, you know, after SKA Network um, 2.0 was just launched with iOS 14.5, Apple also announced SKA Network 3.0. Uh, which I call 3.0, uh, which is like the Homer Simpson. So um, it's, it just changes everything again. So no matter how anyone is prepared for this SKA Network 2.0 change, uh, they're going to get a shock when 3.0 comes out, which is what, four months from now, roughly? Um, yeah, so too many changes, too quick. And yeah, basically it's like either you need to trust in the team or trust in the tool. What are the main blockers uh, when adopting machine learning? I think the biggest issue that I always have um, on any channel, I mean, they all work with machine learning in the background nowadays, right? And, and the biggest is issues I, I face with every app and every client, if it's web products or app products, is uh, how is data being fed into the system? Um, and how consistent is, is it actually being fed? So there's literally every week, I, another client that, where I need to um, dive deep into the data to figure out, okay, again, this event is broken or doesn't send the value or it's sending it too late or because some system was broken in the back end, whatever. Um, so this obviously very much destroys the machine um, and how it approaches uh, the campaign. Um, and you still need so much resources to actually find this out that there is something broken, um, that, that it's this is probably one of the biggest blockers for me uh, using uh, those machine learning um, things. Um, and, and it's basically still such human work behind um, that I don't see the machine anymore. <laughs> Related to, to data, besides the structures and the availability of data, what I also see in mid and big size organizations is that sometimes the owner of the data or the one that makes the structure of the data is not the one that is going to use the data. Sometimes you don't have the ability to use some data or you don't have the structure that you need because the marketing team is going to work with the data that the data team from the company is making available. Uh, but the other challenge I see is that the profiles that are currently working with uh, machine learning um, other profiles that I needed across the whole organization. So what I see is that the marketing teams need to do like a lot of recruiting, trying to uh, bring those profiles to their teams and um, have them train uh, in order to solve the different marketing um, use cases. Uh, and also what I have seen is sometimes resistance from the current teams because sometimes they feel like uh, threatened that some of the work they are doing are going to be replaced instead of focusing on maybe like learning what are the other possibilities that I have to make my profile like last longer or um, contribute to these changes that are coming to the organization. What I would add to that, you know, I think, um, you know, I've been sort of covered, you know, the fear part, right? People are just scared. Of, of change and the transparency in terms of how data or how the machine even works. I think, uh, you know, the third blocker generally is all around skills and resources, right? Does the company even have the ability to, to build something like this and, or how, how to bring it to market? And, and generally, you know, I feel, you know, most companies don't have the skill set because, because just, 
just with technology, everything changes so quickly, right? So um, if, if it really isn't your core skill set in terms of what your company is going to focus on, then, you know, no matter where you start, you're going to, you're always going to be behind, right? Because the industry continues to change. And I think that the fear of, of even getting started generally stops people from trying in the first place. And, 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 and that sort of becomes a big blocker is, is just trying to convince and show people the value because people are, for the most part, know they don't have the internal resources. And, you know, and, and, and then it comes down to a conversation like how much do you want to trust with, with a different party? Because you're exposing um, um, propriety elements of your business with, with somebody else. And so it comes down to trust. First of all, if someone offered me a Maor bot, I would go for it. Like, you know, I can just sit and enjoy, drink coffee. Uh, actually, Juan from uh, Windclaps Marketing thought uh, I have a Maor bot because I apparently respond very quickly to emails. Um, it's not the first time I uh, was told this. Uh, in my view, the biggest blocker, uh, which I agree, by the way, with everything that was said, but it's our eyes. It's our, it's the human, I don't know if I want to call it ego, but what we're used to. And, you know, if we see something in one platform and it looks great and we see something on another platform and it basically tells us that this is not great it's actually crap which one do we want to believe so you know it's it's really hard sometimes to let go and trust something especially when it's not your core skill set and let's face it most marketers they're not data scientists they're not going to drill down into a data model and try to understand, you know, what is it, it, which one is correct. And it's, you know, it's much nicer to just go with whatever platform has a graph that uh, goes up to the right, rather than a platform that shows you a reality that uh, maybe you don't want to actually accept. So that's, I think, usually is the biggest blocker. Sometimes, you know, it, it gets all imploded when someone understands, holy holy mother, it's like, this is a big fuck up that we've done. We've seen it with fraud. We've seen it with waste. We've seen it with companies who, I don't know, their budget ended up on the 25th of the month and they stop all advertising. And they're like, um, why is the numbers not going down? And that usually had someone raise a question and say, maybe we're not doing the best job. Maybe we should have actually listened to this other thing, other technology, other insight that we missed out. So, yeah, I don't know if it's ego or eyes, but it starts with an eye and works. Now, uh, to the last question, which is actually why we're all here. Um, so, build or buy? That's, that's really the biggest question. And uh, maybe starting off, uh, I think a company should build everything. I think they should actually build their own uh, hardware, server stack, app store. Um, billing a, a billing mechanism just as fortnite worked really well for them i'm of course kidding who wants to take it first well comparing to fortnite that, that that's a big play here i mean that's a different level of company right <laughs> but uh the let's say the average company so i'm a big fan of buy to be honest because i have a core business i want to focus on that i see this with my clients as well Focus on your product, focus on your customer, focus on tailoring your message, your strategy, um, how you get people into your product, how you keep them in the product, um, why uh, defocusing your development team, um, 
in, in, to build something that is not core business, right? So I, I don't see the reason, first of all. And second, what I've seen with experiments on that clients did, or when I was still part of companies that uh, branched out and wanted to have the developers doing a project to have, uh, because we can do it better than the external tools. It was always a mess, and um, ultimately, after one year, two years of development, with nothing going, with either nothing going live or something really bad going live, uh, they actually went to the third-party solution in the end and just paid a thousand bucks a month, and 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 then that's it. Yeah, obviously, I agree there. Um, so, like, I think that every company should really focus on what their core is, what their core product, what their core offering, what the core service is. Now, a lot of companies, of course, because they have the resources. Like if you look at a big size mobile app developer now, they have the resources to pretty much build whatever they want. And of course, if you ask a product person or a tech person, do you want to build this or license this? We're most of the time say, no, we should build it. Then we'll have proprietary technology. It will be more competitive. What people forget is that the cost is not just building something. It's also maintaining it. It's also upgrading it because we live in a world where technology changes all the time. Even if, I don't know, if you build something simple to automate your media buying on Facebook, Facebook changes their API every couple of months. And that would just mean that you need to redo, redo, redo. So it's not just the one-time investment. And then you're like, my God, I have amazing proprietary IP here. It's the maintenance. And then you basically become this company that is focusing on multiple things. And I think very clearly, and we've seen it throughout the history of time, companies who focus do better than companies who don't. Yes, there is also the, the opportunity cost you have until you have something up, up and running, right? So what I try to think is like a buy to build approach. It's like you can definitely buy something like pretty quickly, you can test it and you can see if the technology worth it if it gives value to your company to your team and then if you see that there is something there you should definitely try to build it um if you see there is a high opportunity you can work towards that you can you can wait the six months 12 months until you have something up and running um but i think that the first uh, good step to be quickly doing doing things changing stuff would be like to buy something yeah, what I would add is, you know, um, really start with the use cases in terms of how you're going to use something, right? And 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 if you can clearly define your use cases, what what you will find at least around marketing, most of those use cases can be solved through licensing someone else's technology. There's there's no real need, especially in this day and age, to go and build it. And to and and the other risk of trying to build something is generally. You know, um, you know, most most of the engineers that work on these types of projects, you know, are trying to sort of build something because they want to try to build their skill set. And 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 once they've worked on on a certain project, you know, most of them don't really hang around to help maintain it, and they move on to another opportunity. And it becomes actually a risk to the business because you know you've lost that skill set, and and to to sort of maintain and upgrade these systems become a huge challenge. And so you end up becoming a dated machine versus working with a partner whose core competency is, and the survival of their business really lies on ensuring that the, um, the, the intelligent machines continue to stay up to best practice are gonna be putting more engineers 
and and product people behind that, then you could have a port because it's not your core competency. Yeah, I like the, I like the use case. Ah, sorry. Yeah, I like the use case. I would, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Please go ahead. I like the use case point. I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of companies that did succeed that built proprietary stuff. So take Rovio. They actually built cross promo um, early on. Later on, of course, they license, but I think when they built it, same as, you know, King built, built their own attribution. Recently, they changed to an MMP and Machine Zone, if you guys know or knew, they built a shit ton of stuff in-house. But I think these companies built things because they were simply not available. They could not license it. That gave them an edge in the beginning. I think that the mistake was some of these companies really clinged to their own proprietary for many years, which meant maintenance and mistakes. And if I look at the attribution space, for example, at some point, like managing the um, the integrations with all the ad partners out there versus, I don't know, license what, licensing whatever attribution solution out there that can just post back to whatever network you wanna work with, that didn't really make sense anymore. So I do get building in the beginning if there is no alternative, okay? then it makes sense. But the moment the technology becomes a commodity, drop your own IP, go for someone else. It's hard because you will need to explain now to both tech, engineer, product, and finance why we're killing this project that we built in the past that was maybe our unique differentiator to license it to this other fancy technology out there. And, and what I would add to that is, you know, in a very rare, unique, uh, scenario, you know, when you look at the use cases, if there is something that's completely unique to your industry that isn't unique to anybody else that doesn't exist, then, then then you really have no choice, right? Which is what a lot of these companies that you mentioned, like Rovio, King, and Machine Zone, they were they, 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 they were early pioneers in a lot of this that never existed, which is why they had to do that. But if you, you know, knowing what you know now, you know, uh, and, 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 and knowing the access to what we have Today, you know, for the most part, it's not a smart decision to try and build stuff. Yeah, so that was our last question. So I think we learned a lot here. Um, so basically, we can all agree that every, everybody should be building everything in-house, correct? Thank you so much for your time. It was really a pleasure meeting you all. Have a lovely rest of the day and hope all of us get vaccinated pretty soon. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Bye, guys.